Hoodoo plant mamas. Get your soul fed and your spirit red. This here in my trend. I possess the power from way back when. Back when folks were stripped from all of their skin. So they had to find the magic within. Ancestors and gather my herbs. I conjure at my altar. Hoodoo plant mamas. I manifest growth and I release drama. Child, we just out here trying to water our plants and mind our business, you know? Everybody from the deep south, man. Everybody can have a culture like us. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of Who Do Plant Mamas? I am one of your co-hosts, Leah Nicole. And I'm Danny B. And today we are joined by Star of Black Joy. Star, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. First off, thank you so much for allowing me to be here and to spread the Black Joy. Who do plant mamas? So my name again is Star Dunnigan. I'm the founder of Black Joy, a nationwide brand that uh, seeks to tell stories in multiple ways, different ways that we as Black people liberate ourselves through joy. I've been basically, uh, this is the sixth year of this brand, very proud of how far it's gone. So me and Danny work together. She's one of the first people I brought on to the team. And it's just a blessing that before last year, it was kind of like feeling like I was trying to do it on my own with the help of some of my coworkers, you know, on and off again. And now that we have a dedicated team to spread the Black joy throughout the country, instead of just the South or Alabama, which is where I'm from and where Black Joy started. It just reminds me of how much favor I have over my life uh, or God has blessed me, blessed me with and my ancestors have blessed me with. So I'm just happy to see it all come into like fruition. Well, before we get started, we always do like a check-in. So mm-hmm. we'll start with you. How are you today? I am feeling aligned. I'm looking out my window um, in my office and it just looks bright and sunny. It's a little chilly. More chilly than I would like. It's supposed to be warmer. I'm supposed to be able to wear tank tops by now, in my opinion. Uh, But here I am in my little light sweater. And that's okay. Mother Nature can do what she wants to do. And I'm just not going to say nothing. I don't want to curse us. So, yeah. So, it's just like bright, sunny blue skies. Uh, Just very calm and centered today. Even though it's been a very busy couple of... It feels like it's been a very busy couple of months. But, like, this weekend has been a little busy. Uh, for us at Black Joy and just personally with me. So, but despite that, I've managed to stay grounded. I'd love to hear about how you're doing today and wh- what is bringing you Black Joy recently? I know I'm not supposed, <laughs> to, I'm supposed to ask questions. Um, well, how I'm doing, I'm not going to lie. The retrograde has been kicking my ass. That and mm-hmm. eclipse season, Um, I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm kind of ready for it to be over. So I think for me, it's just like a a call to like sit down, to rest, to do less. I really want to go swimming, but our beaches are like full of red tide. Our governor is like on a world tour. So that's fun. (laughs) It's a mess here. It's a mess here. Something that is bringing me joy. I actually just finished this book, Black Women Writers at Work. And I really did appreciate seeing the parallels between my own writing and all of these like amazing black um, writers, women writers. So that was something that was bringing me joy. So what about you, Danny? I'm I'm doing okay today. I'm happy about today because my it's my friend's birthday. So I'm probably I haven't left the house in days, maybe about a week. So I I'm gonna go hang out with her and probably be outside I don't know what the weather is it's sunny it looks like it might be warm but you really never know here sometimes the sun is out and then you go out there and it's like 40 degrees so hopefully it's over 60. (laughs) Well the next thing we'll get into is some gratitude um, before we jump into the show what are you grateful for today Star? There's just so much it's just like a bunch of things popping up in my head at once like Daisy. I'm grateful for community I'm grateful for grace. I'm grateful for ancestors that are still having my back in the afterlife and showing up in my life presently. I'm grateful for my team, obviously. That's what I mean by community. When I say my village, it does include my team that work with me and help me uh, cultivate this mission 
that I really wanted to spread across, you know, just the South, but it just turned out to be nationwide. I'm grateful for my boyfriend, who I've been with for, in July, it'll be 13 years. I'm grateful for my mother. Um, it is getting close to Mother's Day. And I was thinking about it during my run today of just how much our relationship has grown over the years. I'm grateful for just friends that show up to for me in like different ways. I don't know. I, just, I could go on and on. So y'all need to stop me whenever y'all want to stop me. I'm grateful for crystals. I'm grateful for plants. I'm grateful for colors, sunshine and flowers. And yeah, I can go on and on today. <laughs> what about you, Leah? I would say today I am grateful um, for my ancestors recently, like some things have been revealed to me about like next steps and things that I need to do. And I'm just grateful for, for that guidance um, and that support because I really needed it. What about you, Danny? You know what? I'm grateful for strength. I was having, um, I don't know, I you know, I just, I was having a moment of a very low moment yesterday. But I don't know. I was just reminded of all the times I've gotten over that hump, even when it feels like the world is ending. Some kind of way I get to start over and I'm I'm gonna make I'm gonna be okay and I'm gonna make it. And so yeah, just having I'm grateful for having the strength to pick myself up even when I don't want to. So that's yeah, that's pretty much where I am. Um, so Star, as you said, you are a journalist and the creator of Black Joy by Reckon. Can you share what got you into journalism and your journey to creating Black Joy? Ever since I was young, I always felt like I was a storyteller. I still to this day remember the first story I wrote, which was in fourth or fifth grade. And it was a short story about this little girl who had this magical necklace. Um, and every time she rubbed the necklace, angels would appear around her. Well, one day, a girl who's actually her bully, but she was pretending to be nice, you know, fake love, you know, uh, invited her to a stumbler party and stole the necklace from her because it was magical. Well, this girl went to Paris, tried to sell off the necklace. And so the main character, you know, tries to, you know, go to Paris to get it back. But then she realizes that the angels are still around her. And then she realizes that the magic wasn't really in the necklace. It was within her all along. I didn't know then that the story I was telling was a story about how everything that we need, that we think we need, that's outside of us, like we think it's outside of us, the external things. It's like, we actually do have it within us. I didn't know that then as a person field creator, but that's the story I wrote. <laughs> and go little me. I still to this day have journals uh, from my, I think the latest one I have or the earliest one I have is from sixth grade year. So I just had a way of just telling my story through art in a some artistic way. Uh, and most of the time, it was through words. When I went through the darkest times of my life, it's always been like regurgitating what I'm going through in the form of words and finding a poetic way to say them, like turning pain into just poetry or prose. And so that stayed with me through my high school years where I was a creative writer in the creative writing magnet at my high school until I moved to Mississippi in the middle of my junior year. And that shift from my move from Alabama to Mississippi it was very dramatic, but I'm not going to go into that here. That's a lot of family trauma. We'll be here for three hours. But basically, um, I wasn't prepared to move when I was. And for a lot of us, our high school years are like very vital, whether you love them or you didn't, you know. Uh, for me, um, it was a time where it's like, these are people, a couple of them I've been with since like elementary school. I've known them since elementary school. So to be taken and uprooted during my junior year and then in the middle of my junior year and I didn't even know when I was moving which again that's a whole dramatic story it was just I felt very uprooted I guess untethered and so there was also a difference between the artistic magnet school I went to from ninth grade year into the middle of my junior year this is when I started to see systems in play like systemic like racism in play so I went to Canton High School which is uh, near Jackson Mississippi and that's where the majority of my family is from it's still heartbreaking to talk about. It's just like these kids were given up on, in my opinion, by the state of uh, Mississippi and just discarded. But I knew of, because of the church that I went to, my church had, you know, kids from all over central Mississippi. I noticed that there was a difference between their high schools and the high school I went to and the high school I was going to in the junior, my junior and senior year of high school. I remember to this day <laughs> calling the Clarion Ledger. <laughs> And telling who I don't know, I don't know who this 
man was. He would probably confuse, but I was like, I have a story for you. <laughs> and I was just like, and I want to write a story. And this guy was like, well, first you need to like get a degree. <laughs> I knew before then I wanted to be a journalist or a writer of some sort. I want to like point out these systemic powers in play that cause people to be where they are. You know, it's not always the person's fault. Sometimes you're just trapped in systems that you have no control over and that you have to fight through, but you shouldn't have to. That's when I decided to go to school, a college at the University of Mississippi, Ole Miss, where Danny also went. And that's where I kind of got my uh, journalism degree. And even when I went to, to the University of Mississippi, I started to see more the systemic you have to go to Oxford to know what I'm talking about, but like Oxford has this atmosphere that's very like, if you're not part of this high class Southern society, we don't care about you. That's the feeling I got. And I won't say that that was everybody because there were definitely people who took care of me while I was at Ole Miss or the University of Mississippi, I should say. Because even like the term Ole Miss has racial undertones to it. After I got out of college, I was just, my mind started to open. My mind didn't open all the way until I moved to Birmingham, Alabama. But that is basically how how I kind of started my journey in journalism. I agree about Oxford. I was just telling someone even like how the restaurants are set up. Black people are like in the kitchen and the people that they typically have working the tables are yes. white, young white women. Um, yes. It's kind, of, it's kind of jarring when you first witness it, especially if you grew up in a town where it's a lot of black people. Of course, black people work in the kitchen, but they also work. On the side, like yeah. people actually see them, and right. versus this, where it's like, no, y'all are exclusively in the kitchen, and mm-hmm. so, so going back to um the article that you wrote celebrating the sixth anniversary of Black Joy, I remember you talked about not feeling spiritually qualified at that time when you first started it to be like this mascot of Black Joy. And I resonated as someone who had like an impactful spiritual awakening when I was at my lowest mental health wise. And I think a lot of us struggle with thinking our relationship to spirituality has to look a certain way for it to be valid. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm wondering how you push past that feeling to go on and commit to this project. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sorry, I'm like pausing a little bit because I wanted to make sure I say it right because I know I'm not the only one. I know you're not the only one who feels like they're placed in rooms they're not that they don't belong in. And a lot of that has is rooted in like trauma and being someone who went through emotional and psychological abuse as a child. I say that because I feel like I've been going through cycles of that journey. And so I want to like highlight that like yes, that did like when you go and read the story it's just like okay, it sounds like okay, she went through this, now she's at the mountaintop. No. I feel like I go through mountain ranges of healing. Like, it's not just one mountain, it's several. And I'll go through that. I'm going to go through a valley again, and I'm going to reach the mountaintop again. I'm going to go through the valley again. I'm going to reach the mountaintop again. And what keeps me through that journey is in the back of my mind, knowing that this is for a community. This is for a village. This is for my lineage, my descendants. This is for my ancestors who couldn't do what I do. You know, this has to happen because this is for a legacy. I think inherently I know that. And so that has kept me going, but I'm also learning parts of myself along the way because it can't just be just everybody all the time. And that's part of my healing journey is that I will do, I will give and give and give and give and give and give until I'm empty. I am trying to absorb this belief in myself why I don't have to do all the time to feel worthy. That's going to be a lifelong journey for me. I accept that because of certain circumstances that I don't feel comfortable talking about here right now on this podcast, but eventually I will about my mental health journey uh, because there's certain things that I deal with that I feel like other people aren't going to deal with and that makes the journey even harder. It's not to say that I'm ashamed of it. It's just that I'm learning that I can ease into things. I don't have to like immediately jump and be this courageous black woman and just like put myself out there and then all of a sudden, of course, you're going to get all the stigmatizing talk and then I'm put in a mentally bad state. I have to be ready for that blowback to come. And be like, okay, I knew this was coming and I'm going to still push forward. So that's one way (laughs) is like preparing myself for whatever blowback will come my way. Like, for example, I know that white people are going to ask me, what about white joy? You know, which I think is silly. One more thing, pushing through it. So number one is just like knowing that those things, like that dip in energy or that dip in confidence 
one is like, you don't have to be a super confident person to do this. Like you do have to, you don't have faith and belief in yourself to know that this can happen. But I just feel like when we talk about leaders, you know, we always kind of put those women who are just like super courageous, like they're like bad bitches, you know, they're like, I just want people to know that even though like you're a type of person like me that still shakes when they're in front of people, you're still courageous. You're still a bad bitch. If you're sad, you're still a bad bitch. <laughs> it's like there's no qualification to be sitting in the seat. So I just kind of wanted to banish that like, like there's just have to be like a certain look. You have to look a certain way. You have to act a certain way in order to be a leader. Because I just, I just didn't remember. I don't remember ever seeing a leader kind of like me. <laughs> I will say that the CEO of Essence would be probably a close, close one that she's very open about, like her name, uh, I think it's Carolyn Wenga, but I met her and I've also listened to her videos, but she's also very open about being a type of person who felt like she wasn't qualified for the, the seat that she's supposed to be in. But those are the things that come first to my mind and just not giving up on myself. There's people counting on me, like white media has left such a devastating legacy in the black community and I just if I go away or disappeared or whatever I feel like and there's many brands that do like produce black joy as well but it's just like I don't want I don't want that legacy to go away my own to go away because my legacy is not just about me it's about everybody like I think I don't know if I told you this Danny during your interview but I know I said it during the rest of the team's interview is that I'm building a table for all of us, not just me, you know, black, queer, it doesn't matter. And so I can't stop building the table. <laughs> it's got to get bigger. More people got to be in these seats. More people need these seats because soon they're going to build their own tables. And then we're going to be looking at a whole like, you know, family reunion of tables of black blessings, black community, black care, black healing, black joy, you know, so. I just want to say I really love that question um, that Danny asked. And something that you did in that article was you used other people's voices mm -hmm. to fill in those gaps. And I kind of feel the same way. Like, I remember when Danny came to me and was like, let's do a spirituality podcast. I did not feel qualified to do a spirituality podcast, but I did it anyway. I did it anyway. Um, This is my first, like, publicly spiritual thing that I've ever done and well, thank you for that thank you for the space <laughs> thank you um but even today I still feel more comfortable like talking with other people talking with community members and mm. getting their views of spirituality mm -hmm. than I do about like telling my own point of view because I don't know everything I don't claim exactly. to know everything mm -hmm. and I think that knowledge is and should be communal yes and I think that speaks to the power of vulnerability like the superpower of vulnerability and why it's needed and how we should give people spaces to be vulnerable and to tell their stories because there's so much lessons in our own stories that someone else can pull from and be like, you know what, that's a good idea. I should try that out too. And it may not work for them, but it also may work for them. And so over and over and over again, almost with, almost like with every single story, I can point out a lesson that someone has, like the question I'm giving them is for the collective. But the answer that they're giving me, I feel like it's like I resonated with that answer. I don't know. I feel like Black Joy is so life-giving. Black Joy, like the, not the brand, but Black Joy itself is so life-giving. I think that when we're able to sit down with each other and allow each other to put down our like super, superwoman, superman, whatever cape, super person cape, take that off and be like, yo, this is what I'm going through. I think there's so much healing in that to show our hurts and show our wounds. And of course, there will be people that will take advantage of that. And this is what I've learned and what I'm learning and trying to absorb is that that has nothing to do with me. How people act has nothing to do with me. It has something to do with how they operate and navigate in the world. And I'm saying this because of like, it really does help like spread more black joy. When we, we kind of sit in a pain that we give each other sometimes it's because we're human beings, you know? Now, that will require some emotional maturity. That will require some accountability. But it'll be loving accountability and not brutal accountability. A lot of us were raised with brutal accountability. Oh, you did this, so I'm going to get you a butt weapon, but I love you. And then what produces a, you know, a psyche of like, okay, people who love me will hurt me, you know? So it's just like breaking that 
generational curse of trying to heal through harm, you know? I just think of people who have been through, like, a lot of community harm. And I just want to say, like, that's just when you're sadly that one in your community. They were going through their own mess and their own stuff. And sadly, you got in the way. Or you were in the mixture of that, not in the way. Nothing you did caused that. I hope we continue to be a people that's open towards each other. I love what you just said because it reminded me of, so, you know, there are abolitionists and a lot of people think of abolition as like no prisons, no cops, but it's not just about that. And I think that's when it really started to resonate with me. And I started to understand it more when I talked to people where abolition is about joy. It's about pleasure. It's about, yes. It's about Mm -hmm. like abolishing the cop in your body, in your head. Mm -hmm. And it's about like us learning how to like, like you said, with community, learning how to repair these harms in a way that are like holding people accountable, but aren't brutal. Like learning how to like do these, get, get down to these issues and conflicts and intracommunity problems in a way that is loving while also holding people accountable, accountable. And I think, The idea of like canceling people, I think under certain circumstances, it can be heavy handed. Now, there are certain circumstances where I'm like, you know, I hope that person works through that there. As far as I'm concerned, I'm done with that person. I don't want to have anything to do with them. But I also think that I've seen the way the Internet can like not give people the opportunity to change. And when they do change, it's something that they keep bringing back up. And it's not even like these people killed anybody, you know what I'm saying, or harm or like abuse anybody. Sometimes it's just like a matter of this person had shitty values or shitty understanding of power dynamics. And now they are not that person anymore. And thank God that I didn't have to work through my internalized anti-blackness, my internalized classism, my internalized sexism on the Internet. Because if I did, people would have a lot of receipts to pull back up on me and be like you said that that's what you Mm -hmm. thought thought yeah that that is what I thought because that's what I had been raised on and taught Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and so yeah every what you said to me was just like very abolitionist in that in how we deal with community so I just want to say that that's why I love that answer yeah yeah and I mean I honestly had to sit down with myself too in that same regard because like I had a conversation with my therapist about this and so she was used to tell me, it's like, Star, I think the reason, like, she called me, like, the accountability police. <laughs> and the reason why I acted that way is because I lived with a man, my dad, who uh, I, even still to this day, hasn't received enough accountability. You know, he hasn't been held accountable for his actions. And so thus, when someone does wrong towards me, it's like, I act the same way. It's just like, I need to hear you say that you know that you did something wrong. And that you will never do it again. Or at least you'll work on it. And so if that doesn't happen for me, then it's just like, okay, then I assume that you're going to do it again. I guess you can say I've been on the other side of what you're what you're saying. It's like, and that's why I'm learning about like loving accountability. Because I also didn't give that loving accountability to myself. In which kind of the same way I was raised with that. Uh, they're very brutal accountability where it's just like if you did something wrong it wasn't just you're punished through like butt whoopings or something like that you were punished through let me take away your books or let me take away your door or let me take away take away take you out of your community like the severity of the punishments of course then I won't know what loving accountability looks like because it wasn't love it wasn't rooted in love it was rooted in punishment So yeah, that's definitely one of those things I had to work through too. Yeah. Well, (laughs) Minda told me to ask about your grandmother. I forgot the name she said, but I'll frame it as what ancestors have guided you on this Black joy journey and what has that looked like for you? Uh, should I say who Minda is? Like you could, you want me to? Um, well, Minda's been on the show before when we talked oh, okay. about dating, but um, Minda. Oh, okay. Yeah, Minda Honey is currently like the editor at Black Joy by Reckon. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> the person that she's referring to most likely is actually my great grandmother. I knew her when I was first being told stories about her. She was referred to as Maggie Tucker. That's when all my aunts and my mother referred to her as as Maggie Tucker. And so one day we were doing a virtual workshop with ancestors and training. We were asked to think about the ancestors we wanted to bring in the room. And before I came on to that workshop, 
my uncle was the one who told me actually her name was Magnolia Tucker. And that is so beautiful to me because she, I don't know if she was raised in Mississippi, but I know that all, she basically raised not just my grandmother, and but also my grandmother's children. So, but she raised them in Mississippi. Mississippi's state flower is Magnolia. So her name is Magnolia Tucker. It's just like, I love it. Uh, and also love Magnolia. I haven't learned a lot about her yet, but she comes off to me as a very kind of like a, I don't want to say fearless because I feel like that would be unfair, but like a caring and courageous community woman. And she did it through both loving in a way that just provides loving grace. And so my aunt has told me herself that I remind her, my aunt, of her grandmother. So my great-grandmother, Magnolia Tucker. And so then she starts telling me stories. Won't have all the details to it, but I can give you like a rundown version. It's the story about my uncle getting arrested and put in jail. Uh, I forgot why, but it was basically a bunch of white people, which back in the day, you know, that was a very dangerous place to be, throw them in jail. And so word got to my great-grandmother that her, her grandson was in jail. Like, I don't know if she did this without fear. Like, if she was here today, I wish I could ask her about her thoughts about that moment. But I do re- remember my aunt telling me that she went up to the sheriff, white sheriff, just in Mississippi. And like, that's why I'm like, no fear. But it's just like, who knows if she felt fear or not. And said, I heard you have a boy. After just talking to him, I don't know what happened during that exchange. I think she got him out just paying like, it was a very low fee. I can't tell you what the fee was. It wasn't like an ex- extraordinary amount of money. And got my uncle out of jail, you know, without anything, without harm. That's one thing is that even though she was placed in an area where it's like, ma'am, you're a black woman talking to a white man at that time. Like what? And you just went up in there. <laughs> but people like when my when my auntie also told me that when you said the name Magnolia Tucker, you said that you were her child or that you were related to her. People just held her with respect. People respected her. And that's because she was a loving woman and she was there for community. And so... That's just someone I looked up to be. And uh, my aunt, who told me the story, my aunt Sheila, uh, she's also a woman who I aspire to be because when you're around her spirit, uh, my mom's kind of the same way. Uh, It's just like you feel a very warm, loving spirit. And I feel like that spirit has been passed down to all the Black women. And it also came down to me. So that is the ancestor I feel the most connected with of who when I get into heaven, would probably be the first family member I spot out along with my grandmother. I have one more ancestor. So this ancestor actually is not related to me. Um, but I did remember ancestors in training that we were told that our ancestors don't have to be related to us, but we do have strong connections too. So my other ancestor would be Mark Lanier, who was my best friend, so when I considered a brother. He was a man that, you know, if you ever thought of like what would be the perfect best friend, Mark Lanier would be the person. He was uh, someone who would pick you up in the middle of the night if you're having a bad night. Uh, will be there through you through your darkest hours. Just the sunshine to a dark day. He unfortunately did die uh, by suicide in August of 2020. No one saw it coming. No one saw it coming. I did not see that coming. He is in my heart to this day and is every day. That is another ancestor who I aspire to be because he was just such a good presence and he's such a good friend. And he's the friend I aspire to be. So I love that story. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's important to elevate our loved ones in that way, whether they're blood or not, because I definitely have some ancestors, I think, that are with me that are not blood related. Did you have any other um, thoughts before we take a short break, Leah? Um, no, I didn't. We can take a break. Thank y'all for tuning into the show. If you want to support us, you can rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Hoodoo Plants and Instagram at Hoodoo Plant Mamas. Check us out on Patreon where we share exclusive video, plant, and spiritual content for only $3 a month. We also have a new patron. Hey, Jasmine, thanks for joining our community. If you prefer a one-time donation, you can donate via Cash App, hashtag Mamas, or our PayPal, hoodooplantmamas at gmail.com. Let's get back to the show. 
So as you said earlier, we all attended the Writing with the Ancestors hosted by Black Joy and Ancestors in Training. We also had Veronica on our last show. So there were a few things that I wrote in my notes about that class, mainly about how liberation requires this mind, body, and spirit. And as a result, we have to emphasize celebration and joy. And so for me, I was thinking about how often in my life I would say like, I can't do X, Y, and Z until something happens and how that's really rooted in a scarcity mindset and this idea that we can't have joy and celebrate during dark times, um, all rooted in scarcity. And so now I'm thinking about how best to live the life that we have with what we got. And I was thinking about ancestral work as a means of joyful responsibility. And we've talked about this before on the podcast. We tend to um, focus on the negatives of the past and think about our ancestors living like miserable lives, especially during slavery and during segregation. But if it's possible for us to experience joy now, it was possible for them to experience joy then as well. And so (laughs) recently... I've been thinking um, a lot about Black joy in media and creative spaces. And I know, Star, that you've written about the media legacy of profiting off of Black trauma. When I was younger, I was someone who fed into that and thought that I had to write serious, important work. And it wasn't until last year when I intentionally sought out joy in television, in books, in music, in movies. I think that's part of why Renaissance resonated with so many people because it's such a joyful album. And so I have been trying to incorporate more joy into my life because I realized I've been surrounding myself in like serious, quote unquote, important work that showed the worst of Black experiences. And it made me miserable. And works that center joy, while they don't neglect the harsher realities of life, they also don't dwell on them. And so I think a lot of ways centering joy has brought balance to my life. And so here's the question, finally. (laughs) So the question for everybody, how are y'all incorporating joy into your daily life? Two things. And I think this also would answer Danny's question of like how I kind of got through those dark times, that those joyful times don't always have to be so big and grandiose. So like, I learned that this was also true during like the dark times in my life and the dark times that also happen still. When we think of like Black joy, I think people can sometimes get caught up in like the big moment, the huge trips or the huge gift for yourself or something like that. So like for me, it's peace, like slip in some peace into my day. For example, when my therapist challenged me to create a morning routine, at first I was like, morning routine? I am not a morning person. I am definitely a night owl. And then I realized the reason why I was so much of a zombie in the mornings because I deal with a lot of morning anxiety. Like I literally will wake up in a state of fight or flight. Just kind of like imagine like waking up sick. That's what like morning anxiety feels for me. Like my heart rate will be up in 100s and like it's as if I'm running, but I'm sitting in my bed. And it's very overwhelming to deal with, especially if I deal with multiple mornings at a time like this. A morning routine for me that has definitely helped me is like my skincare routine. I am overcoming codependency within my relationships. One thing during that journey that I was going through was the idea of like, oh, you need to take care of yourself. And I had to come to the reality that I didn't know what that meant. Uh, And that was embarrassing to say at the moment, but I'm learning how to have strength into saying it now that I didn't know at the age of almost 30 that don't know what that meant. Like, put yourself first. What are you talking about? This codependency teaches you to put yourself last. With this morning routine, it kind of helped me put myself first in my day in a way. I started off with a skincare routine because for as long as I can remember, I remember my mother kind of like teaching me that the, you know, first thing you do is like wash your face, you brush your teeth, you wash your face in the morning and to take care of your skin, right? So you don't get a breakout. So I kind of like latched on to that. It was like, okay, well, how can I make this as luxurious for me as possible? And so I started looking up skincare items that help with hyperpigmentation because that's what I felt like I was dealing with at the time. I ended up with this black owned brand called NOLA Skin Centrals. 
and they have a couple of items that they use that smell really good that like help with hyperpigmentation and things like that. So long story short, like it's just kind of finding joy in those small moments. Uh, even it's just like you taking a break during work and using that moment to focus on breath work. Just finding things like bring you peace and bring you joy and try to slip it into like your everyday helps a lot and it'll end up building up to those grand moments. So that's what it meant for me. Slipping in those small moments of peace and luxury and whatever luxury looks like for you. It doesn't have to be like spending a billion dollars on a car. Like for me, it was just skincare, like luxuriarizing. <laughs> Is that a word? My skincare has helped me out a lot. Even like my office. My office is covered in colors. Like there's several colors. So I was like, you see this? This is one of two panels that sits on my wall. Um, my papa's on chair, my bubble chair. The cushion for it is colorful. My lampshades, colorful. Surrounding myself with color. It's a little bit overwhelming at times, people telling me. But like little things like that, my crystals. Yeah, just finding things that you like. And if you don't know what that is, like that's okay too. You'll be navigated to spaces that you like, you know, areas, and you kind of just start there. And in community, you will find more things that bring you joy and you just kind of build from there. So I just, I just want to speak for the people who are like starting at ground zero, because sometimes you are, and that's okay at whatever age and like letting them know that there's still a chance for you. Do you want to answer the question? you. <laughs> So how are you incorporating joy in your daily life? That is such a good question and an important question to be thinking about. I also am a person who needs routines and I've written about this, Leah knows on my substat about why I need routines, but one of my routines was broken recently when I when I was having stomach issues and I had to like cut out coffee pretty abruptly. But coffee, it was as much about like, the rush or whatever you get from the caffeine as it was the act of getting up every morning and making the coffee. Like the act of making the coffee was this important ritual that I felt like had to be done in order for my day to make sense and be balanced. And now that's not really a part. Like I made some today, but it's not something that I do every day because I can't be drinking coffee every day anymore. But I think I'm trying to create new routines. So a lot of nights I've been doing like this bedtime yoga with this yoga teacher that I love on this app that I found named DeAndre. Love him. He's just, he just has such a good spirit. I love that he's, he just says things that resonates while we're doing it. And I don't know, he just says really thoughtful things that you may be going through like whatever you're going through he's going to say something that resonates and it's just like something nice to have before I go to bed other ways I'm still figuring out other ways um listening to podcasts um when I have the capacity reading I read a couple of chapters in the book of delights by Ross Gay yesterday um I also read some of the Pleasure Activism book and was crying. I was having a day yesterday, but it was just hidden. Audrey Lord and um, Alexis Pauline Gums, especially her. I don't know. She just she just hit me in the chest yesterday about love and I hate to use decolonizing, but like rethinking how we think about love and what love is because love is so much cooler and more nuanced and layered and thicker than what we make it out to be. And that, that includes ourself, but it wasn't like self-love in the cheesy way. It was just highly recommend that book. Um, but yeah, yeah, just little things, just little things that I'm trying to start incorporating in my life that bring me joy and pleasure, especially. So yeah, I remember in that same piece that I referenced at the top of the show, where you wrote about the six, you know, sixth anniversary of Black Joy. But another mm -hmm. moment that stuck out to me was when you talked about getting arrested in 2020 with your colleague in that particular piece. Yeah. And I was just thinking about how like Black Joy, at Black Joy, we highlight these beautiful stories about all these beautiful Black people doing really cool, beautiful, unique things in their community. And but then when you go into the broader newsroom, and I don't think it's just ours, but in the context of ours, 
sometimes it just feels like everything's just all bad. Like it's just like yeah. a lot of outside of our thing, things ain't all sweet and joyful. And it can make it feel like progress is really slow. And you've been a journalist much, much longer than me. I don't know mm-hmm. how you've done it. Cause I don't know. If I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I done it either. <laughs> so I'm thinking about as a journalist, but also as a person who just loves and cares about Black people. Like, how do you continue to embody the spirit of joy when you're having to navigate all of that as a journalist? You having to navigate not being able to do your job because people hate, like, low key people hate journalists for some reason. Like, yeah, especially if you don't. You know, especially if they think you're, you know, a liberal or you're biased or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, I've with that. <laughs> I guess I'll say first that to emphasize that I'm not a joyful person all the time. I guess I just give off that energy. I do not. <laughs> um, like last week was a very emotionally draining week for me. Like when you, uh, when you were talking about, Leah, about like how Mercury retrograde on top of the eclipse was just like very heavy um, because of the way my mental health works I also deal with that but throughout uh, the span of a day and not so much you know weeks at a time like I will emphasize that like I'm not the most joyful person all the time I've had mental breakdowns I had and my mental breakdowns can be a little bit much but like I've screamed I have cried went through bouts of self-harm you know especially in 2020 when I was arrested yeah and there was a lot going on in that year because, like, I got arrested in July of 2020, I think, and my best friend died in August of 2020. So that's just two examples right there on top of the weight of the pandemic, on top of starting Reckon because Reckon started in August of 2020 as well. And being, you know, part of a team that was creating this, uh, at that time, a Southern brand uh, that was trying to, you know, put out there the values of the South the transitioning of that. So, like, I have my own bouts, too. And I say that to say this, and I'm going to say it with a story. Hopefully I can keep it short. Black Joy existed before Reckon, but uh, became Black Joy um, once Reckon brought me on in August of 2020. And so originally Black Joy was just a newsletter. And within a year, it became the fastest growing newsletter of Reckon itself, growing by the thousands. And I think that just speaks to the need for Black Joy in our lives. But it was a specific growth pattern that I was noticing within Black Joy really resonated with me because I was going through such a tough time in my life when this was happening. 2020 was a hard year. 2021 was even, it it was like a continuation of like growth, spiritual growth that I needed to go through uh, between those two years. And it just felt very um, confusing and heavy, like emotionally heavy for me. And so I was actually working through Black Joy as I was like going through these moments of emotional and spiritual like darkness and heaviness. And there have been moments when I have literally written Black Joy with tears falling down on my laptop, like, you know, on my keyboard. And so that's why I say that, like, I'm not the most joyful person all the time. And I want to say that because I don't want people to feel like that. That's that. That's what they have to embody. While I was going through this spiritually tough time, and I didn't learn this until afterward, like in the 2022, maybe. Yeah, because y'all were hired in 2022. We got stats to prove that Black Joy was growing as fast as it was. So from September 2021, which was so weird because that's when I moved from Birmingham, Alabama, back to my hometown of Huntsville, Alabama, which kind of like physically represents that spiritual journey I was on. Between September 2021 and March of 2022, our newsletter subscribers grew by 964%. I did not know that this growth was happening at the time. That's almost a thousand percent. And I keep that set in my mind, even to this day, even though it's been like, you know, almost two years or whatever since then. But it's just like, it still amazes me how like, you know how you plant a seed into a ground. You're not going to see the bloom tomorrow. You're not going to see it the next day. You may not see it in a week, but you will see it maybe in a month, you know, from now. And even with some flowers that the blooms themselves will go away, but they'll pop back up. Right. And so it just reminded me that abundance is always growing for us, even when we don't see it. And so I think that's part of the reason like, why I kept growing. It's part of the reason I keep going now. It's like abundance is always rooting for me somewhere. Even when we're dealing with such tough times, there's abundance growing somewhere. 
the presence of Black joy doesn't mean the absence of oppression and vice versa. It's that despite the presence of oppression, Black joy will always remain the birthright. Black joy and abundance and grace and mercies. The promises that our higher power, whatever the higher power looks like for y'all, is always ours. You know, it can't be taken away from us. No matter how many times people have tried to snatch it away. You know, I listen to this podcast. There's these group of black scuba divers called Diving with a Purpose. And they, they're more than just black scuba divers. They'll go into areas where uh, enslavement ships have crashed. And they'll go into the depths and they will try to like collect pieces from them to help, you know, hopefully uh, finish that research of like what happened to our ancestors on these ships, you know. And so there's a National Geographic explorer, her name uh, is Tara Roberts, who actually interviewed uh, diving the people who are part of Diving with a Purpose to create this podcast called Into the Depth. And so in, I think one of the episodes, Tara Roberts talks about how we don't know the names of our ancestors who were on these enslavement ships, who were enslaved and put on these on these ships. But we do know the names of the ships themselves, and we know the people who ran these ships. But despite this being such a dark time of our ancestors being stolen from our homeland, right, and being forced to forget where they came from, um, and when I say that, I'm speaking of the tree of forgetfulness where the enslaved were forced to, like, walk around a tree, and the reason why they had them the enslavers had them walk around the trees because they're trying to force them. It was like a ritual, forcing them to forget who they are, their names, who they came from, where they were rooted in. Despite going through that ritual, and I think life does this with us too, like our oppressions, the way that they oppress us, the rituals of oppression. Our ancestors didn't forget who they are. And an example of that was how they communicated on the, on the enslavement ships is that they would still communicate with each other, do like either stomping on the ground or singing or dancing or whatever, those moments still happen. Even when they got here and like I'm doing a story about gospel music now um, and how they went into the woods and sung these liberation songs, you know, there's stuff that you can never take from our memory of our, of our black selves. Right. And so that's what I think about now. Like, yes, we're dealing with, you know, people trying to erase our history through, you know, anti, you know, CRT laws, like people know what CRT actually is, you know, of course, they're trying to erase the liberation of our trans and queer community, uh, which includes the black community, obviously, uh, in different ways, either through drag or through access to health care, you know, gender affirming health care, uh, taking and trying to reverse the, the progress that we made with our own voting rights, you know, so many areas that we can focus on, these shootings that have killed more black and brown people, you know, there's like, yes, there's an enormous amount of negativity that's in the air. I think that's kind of goes back to trying to like relish the small things, the things that are within your control, which some people may roll their eyes at that. Cause if you've been in therapy enough, you hear that like you can only control your thoughts, your feelings, your uh, well, your thoughts, your behaviors, your responses to things. And I used to roll my eyes too because it's just like, but there's so much I can't control. I think I just leaned into that and learned how to spot moments of joy when I can and relish it as much as I can, even when I don't feel like it. Because there's definitely been moments of joy that's happened. And it's just like, I am not in the mood. I am not. Uh-uh. I'm going back to bed. I'm going back to bed with my dog and... I'm about to watch whatever show I've watched a billion times at that point because I recycle shows. I hope that helps somebody. And like, I understand that. Like, I definitely understand, like, I don't know, there's a saying and it's kind of like a cliche, but it's been a saying in our community for so long and it has been reigning true throughout my life and throughout my aunt's life, my mom's life, my grandmother's life, my great grandmother's life. There is a saying that says trouble doesn't last all days. And that's just a belief, a promise that has always held true. You know, people have their own opinions and opinions are opinions, but there's some truths that are just truth. And that is one of them. It will always remain true. The trouble just doesn't last all the way. Rain don't last forever. Neither does the sunshine. And so just keeping the faith that there's always abundance rooting for me and that trouble don't last always. Um, Something about Magnolia Tucker that I appreciate to this day. And I guess it will somewhat kind of go into the question you just asked me now 
knowing that their ancestors will always have your back is another way that I remain strong. And that's kind of something I'm doing more now than I haven't done before in my previous. In May, I'll be nine years a journalist. Uh, so next year will be my 10th year, um, which is like, wow, holy crap. But like, I feel like I've always been favored when it came down to my career. And my auntie, my aunt Sheila kind of gave me a, a peek as to why. And that my great grandmother was a praying woman. And that she used to anoint her hands with holy oil, line up all of her grandchildren, which will be my mother included, and would pray over them with anointed hand. And she would pray over them, not just them, but also their lineage. Like she will pray blessings over her grandchildren and their children. And so I think about the growth of Black Joy, how even like this man is best for me without really me asking for it because this started in Birmingham, Alabama. And if it would have just grown in Birmingham and flourished in Birmingham, Alabama, I would have been satisfied. But the fact that it was thrown into, you know, talk about the Black Joy of the South. And I was like, okay, I can do that. And uh, it's like, talk about the Black Joy of the Nation. I'm like, hold up. <laughs> I don't know. The nation. Sea to, sea to shining sea. Pacific to the Atlantic. What? Like, you know, West Coast, South, North Coast, whatever. You know, hold up. New York, the L.A., hold up. You know, but the favor that I'm witnessing right now is due to the anointed prayers of Magnolia Tucker. And I will say that to the day I hit my grave is because my grandmother played over me before when I was in the stars. Didn't even know my name. And I that's another thing I want to embody is just like, even though I don't have kids yet, the healing that I'm doing is for my children and their children. But it's also keeping in mind, like, you don't have no any idea of the prayers that you're ancestors spoke over you when you were before you were formed and they're pushing for you now that it's not just your higher power it is an army of blessed of blessed people who are fighting in your honor who knows what's going on when you're not in that room thank you star so much um thank you for creating black joy thank you for your wisdom today thank you for creating black joy with me <laughs> i'm happy to assist but Yes, it's not just me. It's like, oh, thank you for creating about your baby. There's a whole team. <laughs> like, uh, uh-uh. me by myself, absolutely, I would be on the ground exhausted if it was just by myself. So, thank you, Danny, and thank you, Mackenzie, and thank you, Amanda, <laughs> for helping me grow Black Joy. And thank you, the team of Reckon, for believing in this dream. Because I will say that the people who are on Reckon right now, or who was on Reckon 1.0, I feel like this is Reckon 3.0, um, who are with me at AL.com, no how much blood, literal, literal blood, sweat, and tears I've went into this brand. And so I thank that whole team for like being a cheer for me, even if I wasn't in the room. So I thank them too. I think that's a good place for us to end. So, um, all right, y'all. Well, if you like this episode, you can like, rate, and review Hoodie Plant Mamas on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If anything from the show resonated with you, Make sure to share with us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Hootie Plants and Instagram at Hootie Plant Mamas. Stay tuned for the next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.